the Samsung Neo QLED 8K TV featuring incredible color volume with 8K AI upscaling powered by 20 neural networks on an impossibly slim screen is the kind of TV that's so visually astounding, so unfathomably well designed, it has to be seen to be believed. Don't believe me? Well, okay then. Radio has its limits. Samsung Neo QLED 8K. Unreasonably good. In the Know, the Bourbon Street Shots Podcast. We're your hosts, Shemit Duop and Mason Ginsberg, and this is all Pelicans all the time. up folks i am joined by mavs draft who is a good friend his name is richard and he does excellent draft work so i don't know if you guys follow him but he's basically breaking down each and every prospect um he has great big boards he runs great mock drafts with the overall draft twitter community and he's kind of a celeb in in the draft world so what's up rich how you doing man Hey, that's way too high a praise, but I appreciate it. I'm doing pretty well. How about you? I'm chilling, man, enjoying this this day off uh, before we got to get back to work tomorrow. Seeing as there was no basketball going on tonight, I figured there'd be a lot of people awake and they'd want something to do. So I figured we'd talk about some random draft stuff, you know, not trying to keep it with any specific focus. I uh, just want to talk about anything and everything. And I guess I can – Start it right off with why do you think Cade Cunningham is going to drop the 10 and the Pelicans are going to be able to draft it? Any thoughts? Hey, on I'm, that? I'm just waiting for him to post an Instagram store, like photo and just be like, unfinished business or something like that. Like, that'd be the greatest curveball in, in NBA history. <laughs> what, what would that even mean? He's going back to OK State? Yeah, no, that'd be amazing. Or he goes to like the G League, like announces he's in assignment like the Ignite, something, something wild. This is like when Zion um, was coming out of Duke and the Pelicans got the number one pick and there was all these quote unquote reports. And I put those in air quotes, right? Because they're not factual in any sense. They're like, Oh, well, Zion wants to go back to Duke and he's thinking about going back to Duke and blah, 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 blah. You know, right after he got right after the Pelicans got the number one pick, um, it was all that hoopla about Zion going back to Duke started. So I'm, I'm sure that, Poor Detroit fans are going to experience some of the same stuff <laughs> in the next coming weeks. And I think everyone should just kind of, you know, just accept the fact that, hey, he's going first and um, Detroit's going to have him for a very long time. And that's going to be very good for their franchise uh, in any sense. Um, do you do you agree that's, that's the take, right? He's a consensus one or, or do you think that he isn't quite the consensus and you're buying into these smoke screens that are been coming out? of the combine and, and some other areas. No, I mean, I've been saying for the last seven months, like 
Cade is a lock for number one. You can put him at like two on your big board and you're not, there's a good chance you won't be wrong, but like he's not, nothing's changing now. Like Jalen Green hype is real, but Cade's going number one. I'm glad you brought up Jalen Green because he's the prospect I have number two. And then I don't, I don't think you can go wrong with Mobley, right? I think for the longest time, basically up until the, the playoffs, I had Mobley as two. And I was like, nope, you're not going to move me off that. You're just not going to move me off that. And then the playoffs happened, and I watched all these amazing guards take over and shine. And I'm like, man, you know, I'm really concerned with the direction the game is going in today's NBA. And so if I'm looking at the ultimate overall ceilings, I think a primary initiator and scorer and a three-level scoring guy that Jalen Green projects to be and is, you know, that is top-end outcomes is a more useful player than what Mobley projects to be in his top-end outcomes, which is still a really, 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 really good franchise-changing talent, you know? Um, I don't blame anyone that has Mobley at, at two, and, you know, I'm constant, I'm continually second-guessing myself on that. Uh, but where, where do you stand on that debate? Yeah, so I, I'm actually the lowest on Jalen Green of, like, anybody on draft Twitter, and it's not even nice. my fault. I, 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 I have him six on my board. Um, I'm ready to be just like absolutely get the pitchforks out. It's actually not a knock on him. I, I have pretty much the same tier of uh, him, Suggs, Kuminga, and Book Knight. I just I do have worries about the ball handling to an extent and using that athleticism because he is the best athlete in the class. And then I don't know how good he'll be defensively, but I also don't know how much of an issue that is. And I might just be overreading both of those things. So, I, and I don't think it's even. Like, is that even a debate that he has a top three upside in this class? Like, pro- like he might have the best upside in the class, right? Right. No, no, I agree. And I think that's that's kind of why people have him as, as high as two. Right. But I like that it took us to get, you know, only took us two picks before we got a little bit spicy on the draft board. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you said you had him at six. I, I'd like the, to hear the rest of your five. Yeah, so it goes Mobley at two, um, obviously Cade one. Suggs at three, I'm, I'm pretty sold on him being that third prospect just because there's no way he fails. And he's still got a pretty good ceiling himself. He's, he's then, really good. He's, yeah, really, I mean, he's a like, really good basketball player. <laughs> I've seen people put him at like seven. And I just, I can't get there. I, I think he's the guy that like, he's going to get a top 10 outcome. Like he's so safe. And I know that seven is top 10, but like he's going to be closer to three than to seven, you know? So I, I think he's going to be really good. And then Kuminga at four, I know that's a hot take. Uh, I believe his raw talent's real. And then five, I have Book Knight because I think he's an instant, almost 20 points per game, going to be 20, 25 points per game in his prime. And seeing that Zach Levine, Bradley Beal, they all go like those types of players. Those guys go high in redrafts. I'm keeping him at five. And then honestly, it's like 1A, 1B with him and Jalen Green. I'm pretty equal on him. It's just I've, I put Book Knight at five because I'm more confident in him honestly being better early, as weird as that is, given the talent and everything. I, I really do think if he had a full season of health at UConn, he would have been a lot more popular. So let, let's let's talk about this Book Knight and, um, and Jalen Green comp that you have. So first of all, I, I want to point out that um, apparently being high on, on Book Knight is – Beyond awful and terrible. <laughs> but secondly, I want to point out, um, you know, he is a little bit older of a prospect than Jalen Green. And so where where do you see the separators between the two, and, and why do you have Book Knight ahead of him? 
Yeah, so one, I trust the pull-up shooting a lot more right now. And then also, I think Book Knight might be the best space creator in the draft, not named Trey Man. And I think that has a lot of value. And I, I think he's more raw than people realize. He's not as polished, in which a guy who is not that polished, scoring 40 on a top 35 defense in Graydon this year, that's incredible. Like, that was a real flash. I really do think the injuries hurt his narrative. Um, you know, he's not as playmaking heavy as he should be for someone his type. But I think that's something that'll be developed. And as he stops taking bad shots, because I think that was a UConn thing, not a book night thing. I think those passes and the assist numbers will go up. The playmaking thing is interesting interesting to me for prospects. And I think a lot of people maybe put too much weight in quote-unquote poor playmakers um, at the college level. I think if you look at you know guys like Bradley Beal, guys like Jamal Murray, um, Donovan Mitchell, none of these guys were, were high assist guys, um, even Devin Booker. And a lot of these guys, even beyond high assist guys, had more turnovers than assists. And, you know, like, on if you did a very superficial level basketball reference or sports reference search on them, you'd be like, man, these guys aren't, like, you know, good playmaking prospects. And I think what happens is as these players enter NBA systems, one, the game is different, right? Two, you just have more talent to get assists off of, right? You're passing to better teammates. And, and three – you know, I think the reads, you can teach players at least basic reads, right? You know, you may not be able to make them like anticipatory passers or like advantage creating passers, but it's it's not that difficult to drill in. Um, you know, I, I say that it's not that difficult. I mean, these guys are elite athletes, so, but it's, it, it's difficult for people like us. But, you know, for these guys, it's not that difficult to drill in like, you know, like 300 reps per practice or more of like, oh, Hey, I'm playing pick and I'm going. I'm playing pick and roll against drop defense. Here is where the help is coming from. Oh, I'm gonna like this is the read I'm making. You know, like there's you can make it very formulaic. You can make it very algorithmic. Um, excuse my pronunciation. You pulled it off. You pulled it off. I'm I'm ESL. I have an excuse. Um, <laughs> but, but um, yeah, I love throwing that in there, and I you know it's a great way to make people feel bad. Um. <laughs> But it's it's very formulaic, and, and you can get basic reads done, I think, with guys that have the ball handling and the scoring ability, right? Because a lot of times the defense is going to react to how they are scoring. And so, okay, if a guy can pull up as soon as he comes off a screen, well, the defense is going to react a certain way and certain passes are going to be available to that guy. If the defense is playing completely off him and dropping – and, and, and they're trying to contain his drive, well, then, you know, another set of passes are available. So I think what ends up happening is that these guys, as they grow into their game as scorers, they, they grow into the game as passers. And, and so I think, I do think with a lot of players at this age, the, the playmaking concerns are, are a little bit overstated. And specifically with Book Knight yep. and, and Green, I think those two apply. Um, again, it all de- depends on how they develop as shooters, uh, I think. And then you're right. Like, I think you, you mentioned you had concerns with Green's ball handling a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I just think it's kind of loose and it can be improved to an extent. Like, it, it's a little bit far away. Do you think if, you know, I think OKC has six, right? So if, if Green is dropping to six, like, they should be doing backflips? Uh-huh, yes. They would – that would I, – I would not – let me let me like make something clear. So I have green six on my board because that's where I see him being like as of now. And I still might bump him above Book Knight. I'm still on the fence. Um, 
because I give in to, to norms very easily. Uh, <laughs> I, I do think, though, that, like, if, a t- if he gets past three, one, shame on NBA GMs. Like, I, I do think he should go three. Um, as much as I do love Suggs, I think the top three should 100% be Cade Mobley and Green because that's just my philosophy, that if you're at the top of the draft, you should be going for the best upside in the class within a realistic range, right? Like, I think you actually were the one that kind of changed my mind fully because I was like, yeah, yes. 75% of the time, you know, in most cases, <laughs> I think you had published something on it. And, and I was like, yeah, you don't, you don't need to go for like good players. You want to go at the top of the draft, you go for the great players. Jalen Green under no circumstances should be anything worse than the third pick. Yep. Yep. I, you know, I think, I think philosophically you're, you're right there. And, and so I, I think that makes a pretty interesting board based off of like, who actually has these picks, right? So I think the with Houston, the debate is okay. Do we do we go with Mobley? Do we go with Green? How does how do they fit with Kevin Porter Jr.? Should you allow Kevin Porter Jr. to dictate your draft? In my opinion, no. I don't think you know Kevin Porter Jr. should dictate what you're doing with number two. I think you should just take who you who your organization feels like is going to be the best player. Um, do you and and I guess do you vibe with that? Yeah, I mean. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm so sorry. I just got sidetracked for a second. I'm terribly sorry. I just completely lost my train of thought. I had no problem. Dude. Just, I, I got a text. I'm so sorry. What, what, what was the last part you said? I'm terribly sorry. Yeah. No, do, you, do you think Kevin Porter Jr. should, yes, should dictate? That's what it was. Thank you. That triggered it. Um, no. So, I mean, yes, like you, you do to an extent because you don't like with someone. And I feel like probably generalizing here, but I feel like he's kind of a hothead how he handled the Cleveland situation which, like, was stupid, but also, like, there's a professional way to handle that, and, like, do you really want to piss them off? And who knows? That's an issue they have to work out. So I'm like, yes and no, but also... Um, Look, as long as you're not moving his locker, he's not going to throw yeah, exactly. food at you. Exactly. <laughs> or whatever it was. I mean, was it soup? J.R. Smith was soup. I don't know what he threw. <laughs> I thought it was soup for both. I think I just put that into Kevin Porter, too. But I guess the whole thing is, is, like, does Houston actually have any cornerstones or is Kevin Porter Jr. cornerstone because he's on Houston right now? And that's like a hard thing to figure out. I lean towards he's probably a borderline cornerstone, but you're not going to, I just, I don't think there's anybody in this draft that like, there's not anybody that he's better than at two. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I, I, I think I lean more on the side that he's a cornerstone because Houston doesn't have a cornerstone, but Maybe he can exactly. turn into that. I, I think you're definitely, you know, he's definitely one of those like, okay, you know, he's on his rookie scale um, contract. You have two more years with him before you got to deal with any kind of contract decisions. Um, okay, what just happened? Uh, yeah, sorry, my room started like glitching. Anywho, you got two more years before you uh, have to make a contract decision on him. So you might as well ride it out and see if he can develop in that cornerstone guy, but it shouldn't prevent you from taking you know, who you think is the best possible player. Two teams that really interest me are Orlando, which is yourself. I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on on what they should do. And then Golden State both have two picks. Orlando has five and eight, while Golden State has seven and 14. Let's start with Orlando first, since you're you're the Orlando guy. And um, I would love to hear what your thoughts are at in, in, in how they should be approaching this. Yeah. So first of all, thank you for not calling me a Florida man. Uh, <laughs> <meant a> lot, but, 
but but no, I think both both uh, picks, if they keep both, they should do one of two things. I mean, trade up to get three if five and eight does it. Um, technically, that's, I think, what Dallas offered to get Luka Doncic uh, just in two different years to Atlanta. I think it ended up being the eighth pick in 2019, but uh, so that could do it. I'd be okay. Who was who was a player you'd target? If you move up, I mean Jalen Green or Mobley, whichever one Houston doesn't take, you get their leftovers. I just I don't see Cleveland doing it though. I feel like that's a smokescreen that they're not. What? Why would they move out? But whole different story. Uh, to answer your question though, like I think they go Kaminga at five. I think they want that high upside point forward that can do. I mean, if you look at players like him, the wings that can do theoretically have the upside to do everything, that's the superstar mold in the league. And why would you pass up a chance of that? Even if it's like a 25% chance to hit it, the Magic are desperate for those swings. And if they hit on eight, the loss at five doesn't hurt too bad. So I think if you go too high upside swings without really overlapping where the roster is, you know, already kind of filling in at, like, it's hard to say as high as I am on book night. It's hard to say that he would actually be a great fit there because you have Cole Anthony, you have RJ Hampton, you have Markel Fultz and Markel Fultz is probably the only true point guard. But even then, are you building around any of those players right now? And it's like this whole conundrum where you have too many of similar guys, but the talent level might be different, even if they do the same roles. So I, I go back and forth. I think you should just do best player available regardless of position, but strategically. Um, if you think Cole Anthony and Book Knight can exist, then do that in a heartbeat. What would so after Kuminga, who was like a second player? You said you target like around the eight eight spot. I mean, Book Knight's the dream. Um, I really do. As much as I'd love Moses Moody as a fit in Orlando, I would swing for the fences. I mean, you could start with Kai Jones, even though it's a little bit of a reach. You can go Shen Goon, who might be one of the best offensive prospects in the class. Um, and then if you, if we're looking at the Weltman type, Garuba could fit that or JT would Thor you, even. Would you take Giddy as high as eight see, or for Orlando? I know what I just said about not having a true point guard. I'm also <laughs> lower on Giddy because I don't know, like my whole thing is like, I want these guys to all be able to be interchangeable with the other guards, right? Like I want the point guard. If they take a point guard at five or eight, I want them to be able to play with Fultz. I want them to be able to play with Hampton or Anthony. But can you really – you can't play Giddy and Fultz together. Like, that is an absolute – you cannot do that because neither you of them so? can really shoot. I don't think so. Because uh, not year one, which doesn't really matter. But if Giddy can't become a spot-up shooter, which even though I'm confident in that area that he will, um, I just don't know if him and Fultz can coexist. And that's a weird dynamic that may stunt Giddy's development. So that, well, that's why I'm might a be... bit wary of that. It might not just be the faults component. It might also be the Jonathan Isaac can't shoot component. And, yeah, and it depends on it. And, you know, he's, he's probably, Isaac's probably going to have some on ball, uh, responsibilities as, as he grows as a player. I don't think he's strictly, I don't think Orlando has plans for him being a strictly like play finisher type, you know, wing, uh, slash forward. I definitely think that. They want to they want to increase his on ball reps. So yeah, Giddy might be a weird fit there, especially if you're low on shooting. Especially if you take Kaminga, who might be a question mark as a shooter as well. Um, yeah. And so you're you're really you know potential is doing a lot of heavy lifting there. And um, yeah, it's it's tough. So um, I th- I think I, I wanted the second team I want to talk about was Golden State, which might not even be a team worth talking about now that I think about it, because in my opinion they should just trade both of those picks. Um, along with whatever salary they have and or future picks and try to get better. 
So my question to you would be, do you see any like potential all-stars or quasi all-stars out there that they can cobble together the assets to acquire? Um, and would you give up Wiseman in that process? Oh, as well? Yeah, yeah, no. There, I don't think anybody's untouchable. Like, I'll, you keep the core, what, three? Quay, Dre, and, and Steph. Like, you don't you don't move any of those three. Everybody else should be available, right? Like, that's that's just bad business. Like, am I missing someone? Wiggins. <laughs> Micah yeah. Mulder. Yeah. <laughs> Two-way wigs. Yeah, no. I, uh, Small, I Mulder, one of the best shooters in the league. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean – I, I think everybody should be available outside of those three um, in every asset. If you're not doing that, you're that's just bad business. Um, I don't know though who the best player they could get is. The very obvious target is Carl Anthony Towns, but I don't think it's enough. I don't think Minnesota. I thought the obvious target was Ben Simmons. That's a lot more obvious. Uh, I, <laughs> I I guess the thing is, I guess the way I'm looking at it is like someone who like hasn't been thrown under the bus yet. Sure. <laughs> So, like, I guess, you know, Cat isn't there, although he kind of has from the whole Can you imagine there. Minnesota trading back, like, getting Wiggins in the in, in, in trading Carl Anthony Towns? <laughs> like, what would – I just feel so bad for, for Minnesota pick. fans. Yeah, right. For their and, pick. <laughs> and, yeah, their own pick back. No, I that, – that would just – and, you know, I think Alex Rodriguez at that point would immediately he'll hit the relocate button and <laughs> – I I just do not wish that upon the Wolves. I hope they stay no. in Minnesota for a very long time. Um, but yeah, no, that's. I mean, I think that's interesting for me. I think it's Simmons and then Siakam, which should be the two targets for mm-hmm. them, uh, centering around Wiggins and the draft picks, or and or you know trying to make a three team trade. So maybe it's CJ that um, that the Sixers want, and then you're sending Wiggins and some whatever to Portland and Portland can use any of the ancillary assets to improve on the edges. Right. Cause Wiggins, I mean, I don't think Wiggins is a better player than CJ, but I, that, that partnership with those two guards in Portland is breaking this year. I'm calling my shot. I don't think that's continuing. And so they're, they're in for a different look. Um, but Siakam, I think would be interesting. And I think he definitely fits the golden state MO. I, I don't think they're going to get, necessarily better like I don't think they're going to get a talent level player and and I think if they were in the conversation for one they would be outbid yeah that's my I mean is there anybody I guess I'm trying not to say it but is there anybody on New Orleans that you would give up like who's the best player you would give up for their package I I mean I wouldn't right so I mean I think from a strictly strictly value-based proposition if they offered Wiggins 7 14 future picks um, and Wiseman for Ingram and Adams, you could, there's probably a trade in there that works value wise that from a pure rationale level would be dumb to say no to, but I don't think it makes sense for either teams to go down the route of figuring out where that line is. Um, I mean, it probably makes sense for, for Golden State to do it more so than New Orleans. I don't think it makes sense for New Orleans to figure out, hey, how can we turn Brandon Ingram into Wiggins and a bunch of picks? Um, unless they know for a fact that those bunch of picks that they, they're getting Damian Lillard immediately or they're getting Brad Beal immediately. You know what I mean? So I don't think it, you know, I don't think New Orleans is like, yeah, let, let's figure out how we can turn Ingram into Wiggins. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think Ingram gets enough Wiggins comps as it is. So they're trying to, they're trying to, they're trying to hold on to him and, and wait. Him in a you say? Situation. 
I think well, I'm making a joke about how people call Ingram like Wiggins oh, 2.0 Ingram. sometimes. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't hear which name you said. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean if if Golden State wants the awesome Eric Bledsoe and then the super tough Stephen Adams, I'm sure there's a Wiggins trade we can figure out. Um, but other than that, <laughs> I don't I don't think they're they make for good trade partners. Um, people say you know like let's get Lonzo to Golden State. That ship has sailed. Golden State is hilariously into the tax. And any team that's that far into the tax isn't capable of receiving sign-and-trade players because um, when you receive a sign-and-trade player, your team gets hard-capped at the apron, uh, which is about $4 million-ish above the tax line. Uh, Golden State is like $20, 30000000 million over the tax line. Um, so unless they're, they're magically dumping Draymond Green or Andrew Wiggins into some cap space that you know a team has, with with their packages, they're not going to be able to receive a guy like Lonzo or or anyone else for that matter in in a sign and trade. So I think those two teams are off the table. Um, the next team I want to move on to, since you've already brought it up, is the Pelicans at ten. Um, since there are a lot of Pelicans based listeners in this chat, I figured you'd have some interesting thoughts. One, you know, who do you like a lot in that range, and who do you like specifically for the? Um. So let me let's. I'm going to start a little bit you know, walk backwards here. So I've, I'm going to talk through the team needs and then kind of diagnose it. So I have three hard things written out. I put high IQ basketball players, shooters and physical front court players, uh, which I guess Steven Adams kind of fits, but like someone who can do more than him. Um, is there anything else you would <laughs> add? Cause like the real need is just let players get players who can let Zion do what he does best. Right. Like that's really what it comes down to. But like, is there anything tangible? else that you would add to that and then i'll answer your question i think they could do with um more shot creation whether that's self-creation or creation for others but uh i think you you've hit the the high level stuff and i think frankly to to be less specific the pelicans just need talent period yeah which goes in with the zion thing so i think if you're looking at it that way i think there's two three i mean potentially four guys uh, it starts with Corey Kispert, the best shooter in the draft. Um, you know, it may not be the best value at 10, but, like, uh, the thing with that is, sure, his value isn't 10, but it's, like, also before 15. So, like, are you re- you're not really making a hard reach. Like, there's a very, very high chance that if he's healthy, he's going to be an all-rookie uh, member, one of the best shooters in the league. He's probably going to be comparable to Desmond Bain's rookie year, which every team in the league would have killed for. Then you could also put Trey Mann. Okay, I want to push back here. Um, okay. I really do want to push back here because people talk about Desmond Bain's rookie year. So hold on, let me let me pull that up real quick. So I am speaking factually and not off the top. So Desmond Bain's rookie year, really good. Nine point two points a game, three point one rebounds, shot forty three percent from three on four attempts a game. I mean, like that is really good, right? That's as as good as you can get. Um, overall, his warp for the season. I'm using warp because I did a whole study on how long it takes for rookies to start outproducing the average veteran minimum level player. His his work for the season was 0.4. His BPM was negative one. So again, I don't think he was necessarily quote unquote, like a, an impact player, but it's about as good as you can expect from a rookie. And so my pushback is I think people expect Kispert to come in and, and have an impact day one. And I, I challenge people, I challenge the listeners of this podcast or this room uh, to find 
shooters similar to Kispert and prospects similar to, to Kispert in college and get back to me with their like first really good effective NBA year. So I, I'll name a few and, and you guys are welcome to do your own research. Tell me how good, you know, how long it took Nick Stauskas to get good. Tell me how long oh, it took God. JJ Reddick <laughs> to get good. Tell me, tell me how long it took Kyle Corver to get good. How about Joe Harris? How about Doug McDermott? How about Buddy Heald? Um, and again, these aren't like, these aren't great comps one on one for Kispert, but these are all players that were really, really, really good in college. Like really good in college. And so I think you have to ask yourself, is Kispert A, a better college player than they were? And, and B, are his skills tangibly, um, you know, are they, are they more translatable than, than their skills for whatever reason, right? And, and, you know, I can see an argument for them being so. I can see an argument for the game being a little bit more, uh, advanced than some of the older shooters like JJ Reddick and whatnot. Um, and so it's easier to plug and play a guy like Kispert. But really, like, I, I, I just push back on the notion that just because a guy has one elite outlier level skill and he's an older player, he'll be ready to impact the game day one. I mean, I think Desmond Bain is as good as you're going to get and he's not a needle mover statistically, right? He's, he's good. He's in, in, you know, he's, he's a rotation player, but he's more of a back rotation player. Um, and right. that's like the best case scenario. So, right. That right. was my random Kesper. No, 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 you're good. And I, I don't necessarily disagree. I think with, I think it's just a little bit of recency bias too, because Bain's been good. Um, Cameron Johnson, like, I mean, he got granted. It was like pretty much the bubble and after, but uh, potentially Kevin Herter too. Like those are guys who, they made their impact too. But so even like Cam, you know, Cam Johnson, impact. it's just like um, in his second year, and he's 24 years old in the second year. Again, yep. nine t- nine yep. 9.6 points a game, um, shooting 34.9% from three. He shot a lot better last year, 39%. Um, again, that's just like regular. And again, a, a, he also had a negative VPM this year. Um, I, I hate being the nerd that brings up all these stats. But they're really like the only thing I have to look at historical level stuff um, that goes back like 20, 30 years. Right. I don't have better stuff than than that. But I mean, I, Cam Johnson clearly is better than his stats, as you're seeing in the playoffs. He's a very useful player. But um, I, I again, it's just the whole thing. And like, do you take that? Yeah. And and I guess it, it just comes down to like, do you want a rotation player year one who has you know, he's probably not going to be a guy who, like, outside of maybe two or three games, because it even happened to Bain, where, like, he really had most of the games he was positive, but there were games where it's like, man, if you could have just hit one shot, like, the entire swing, the entire game swings. And it's like, I do think if you're just trying to upgrade your rotation year one and year two, because, I mean, I, I do think by year three, Kispert will be a very useful player and get to that status kind of like you said because it, it, it is a big misconception when you were saying it it clicked it, it doesn't happen in year one and two even Duncan Robinson didn't play in year one obviously a little bit different but like shooters actually like now that you now that you bring it up it doesn't translate as quickly as it seems um so that is an interesting point the second guy who I would put um you could say Trey Mann I have him number 11 you said some space creation I think he can play off ball well enough spicy um what was that I said, that's a spicy take. I like it. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm all in on him. I, like I said, I said earlier, best space creator in the draft. So he has that on-ball, off-ball value. Um, doesn't really bring much defensively and not much of a playmaker, so it's kind of weird. But if you want someone to be able to run the bench, 
you know, when Zion or Ingram is out, where one of, either of your primary scorers are out off the floor, it could work. Uh, and so, then the third, oh, sorry. I'll sorry, go. yeah, before you move on to the next guy, for, for listeners who aren't familiar with Trey Mann, um, what, what do you see just beyond space creation, right? What do you see as his calling card in the NBA, particularly in his like early years? And, and do you kind of have like a, you know, one or two comps that you can see him turning into down his career? Yeah, so the names I wrote down were – he's very similar to a Tyrell Terry prospect, I think, last year. Um, Tyrell was a little bit more of an off-ball player than Trey Mann was as a sophomore this year. But I think overall pretty similar as that offensive-minded, you know, they can make some plays for others. They can shoot from pretty deep, and they can create their shot. Lou Will, just being that automatic microwave, some Devontae Graham in him. And then the other guy was Luke Kennard, but I don't think he runs a pick-and-roll nearly as well as Luke Kennard did or does to really get that. But the other things he does is I, I think he does play the passing lanes well. I like his finishing ability at the rim despite mediocre numbers and not great length and needing to add strength. He has good scoops and other moves around the rim. Um, I, I just I just see a pretty complete scoring guard with him. Now on to Sleeper. Sleeper is the fastest growing fantasy platform today with millions of players. You probably already have a fantasy league on there. I use it for mine. It's a game changing product unlike anything else in the industry. And now you can make money on Sleeper too by playing their new over under game. It's super simple. First, in any sport, choose two or more players that you like and pick the over or under. For example, number of points in basketball or hits in baseball. Then choose the amount of money you want to enter into the contest. If you pick correctly, you can win anywhere from two times to over 20 times the money you put in. The main reason I'm excited about over under on sleeper. It's the only app where I can join my buddy's contest and play together. It's got a built-in group chat where I can see and copy my friend's picks with the tap of a button. It's insanely fun to ride it out together. Stop what you're doing and download sleeper now to play their new over under game and have fun with your friends. And most importantly, make some money. Make sure you use that promo code BLUEWIRE and Sleeper will match your deposit up to $100. Again, download Sleeper, then use promo code BLUEWIRE when you deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Sorry, I was stuck on mute. No, I I, I think that's that's those are interesting comps. Obviously, I think he's a little bit bigger than the first three you named and with the Devontae Graham or Tyrell Terry and and Lou will like I, what I think he is he is he a legit six five or is he like six four ish? Yeah, he's six four and a half. I think is what he measured at. Sure, you know, so uh, definitely bigger than those guys. A little bit harder to hunt on defense um, than those those smaller microwave guards. But man, I think I think that's the highest I've seen him ranked, um, and I like that because you're going all in on shot creation. You're going all in on a guy who can shoot from thirty five out. So. That's 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 the skill that's in these days. Um, I like that. Sorry, I interrupted you for your third guy. No, you're good. I was going to say the third is – I had a hard time choosing a third. Um, I'll just be real. The other one that just missed the cut was Jaden Springer uh, or Keon, depending on who you like more, but I think I like Jaden more at this point. Um, but I was going to say Kai Jones, if you want to go with that front court swing, but Ooh. it feels like that's I mean, would you Sorry. go for a center again? You just drafted Jackson Hayes two years ago, who's still not even close to done no. developing. No, because yeah. no, he can shoot no. a little bit more. But I just that would be the like guy. That's I personally guy. have Sengun uh, as high as eight uh, in my in my board. I, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be upset if the Pels took him. Right? Um, I just think it'd be really hard for the Pelicans to take another big like that. 
So I I would like to avoid, especially Kai Jones being similar to Jackson in the sense that he's uber athletic, very fluid in his movements at his size and flashes, you know, like, like off like the perimeter skills that kind of Jackson flashed as well, but comes with the same problems that Jackson has. Uh, So I think doubling down on Jackson Hayes 2.0 would be a tough pill to swallow at 10. Yeah. I can I can agree to that. It, it's too so, redundant. So with the two Tennessee guards, um, talk to me about them. And I guess for for listeners who might not be familiar with either of their games, what do you think separates one from the other? And who, who yeah. like what what would their what, and specifically like how would you differentiate their ceilings? Yeah, I think Keon is probably the real higher upside guy, uh, which. They're close because Jaden, I think, is one of the youngest players in the draft, which definitely helps him. But um, I think the real thing for me is, like, Jaden Springer is a very good defender. They both are. I think Keon has stopper potential where, you know, like we hear about LeBron stopper. We hear about, you know, a lot of guys being labeled a player stopper. I think a true, like, about as true of a stopper in this class is Keon. Like, that's the guy. Now, the issue for him is that he's pretty raw. He needs to refine his shooting. Uh, probably not going to be much of a shooter day one. He's an undersized wing. It's not really a, uh, that much of a playmaker in my opinion. But if everything comes together for him with his athleticism, I mean, you're really banking on the tools with him. Uh, you get a nice player. But Jaden, it's a little bit more. He's skill-based. Can take, He's strong. Can take guys into the post. Um, really unique guard. I think he's more all-around than Keon is. Where Keon's specialized and could be great at what he is, what he specializes in. So two questions for you, uh, two weird comps. They're not exactly similar, but weird comps. Who do you think was a better prospect or is a better prospect, Keon or Dante Exum? And then the second one is Keon or Chris Dunn. I guess of those three, how would you rank them as prospects? <sighs> it's hard, first of all, not to put in hindsight bias, but second, I love Dante Exum in 2014. Uh, I was ready to, for, to buy the magic jersey for him. Uh, so, <laughs> so really hard, really hard. But I, I think if you look back now, knowing what we like, you know, with the scouting reports and seeing, hey, this is like what stuck. Dante Exum probably was the better prospect being what 6'6", had more point guard skills. And even when he was healthy, he was actually a pretty good player. Um, I would say Exum is probably the better player. And then Chris Dunn, man, that was the hardest evaluation I think I've ever had because – I remember like the defensive playmaking was just so ridiculous that I thought he could not fail. And then lo and behold, he's kind of failed. So man, those are guys who probably are comparisons for him. And it worries me. I'll Grand throw in one more. Them. I'll throw in one more worrisome one. Okay. <laughs> Frank Milikina. <laughs> Frank Milikina. Okay. No, no. It's a lot different though. Cause Milikina, I think his, Personally, I think his biggest thing is his mentality and overall just approach. I, I, I feel like I can't tell a lot of times, but I feel like I can tell with him he's a soft dude. And, like, he's able – while he is good at what he does, he can be pushed off of what he's good at very easily. I don't see the same in Keon at all. I think Keon's a dog who is going to not give up, and he stands his ground. Okay, that's fair. Um, Okay, I, I like that. Uh, I'm I'm lower on Keon. I think I think it's mostly because there's a lot of things he needs to get right before he's successful. Obviously, the athleticism is going to translate. the The defense is probably going to translate, but offensively speaking, 
there he has a long way to go. And and in the NBA, I think kind of like how we've seen with the players that I mentioned above is if your offense isn't there, you know, you could be all world on defense and it's it becomes really hard to play you, right? I think the Marcus Smart is the the kind of best case, like, okay, this guy's an all world defender and his offense is good enough. And, you know, his he can he's he's making enough shots, he's making enough open threes, his passing is actually sneakily good. Um, yep. And so he's, you know, he's he's good enough. But if you're not at least that level good on offense, like you're probably not going to play. Um, and and so that's what makes it difficult. Uh, and and if you think that you know he can get there offensively, like then then his ceiling is like a lot higher because of his his physical too. So he's he's interesting to me. Um, I, again, I'm I'm a little bit lower on on him. I probably I think I have him out of my lottery, but I'll have to double check. So I wanna I wanna ask a few like fun questions um talking more like like random skills and traits that that people might have in the draft and then i want to open it up to people in the crowd to ask us questions as well so the first kind of question i have is um who are some of your favorite like down draft shooters like you know like maybe late first round or just all across the second round who are some players you're like man these guys can really shoot the ball and yeah, so pretty much anybody after 25. Um, <clears throat> I think, like, pure shooters, I would – or I guess any shooter. I'll, I'll go with any shooter. Uh, Isaiah Livers is someone, senior, I think, out of Michigan. I, I think he was a senior um, senior or junior. Really good shooter, really good rebounder. I don't see how he fails. I think he's 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, um, DJ why, Stewart. Why are people not higher on him? I, like, isn't, isn't that the I mold that the to... NBA has looked for, a guy that can, you know – maybe defend two or three positions can rebound the ball and can hit the, can hit, can really shoot, not just hit open shots. Yeah, no, he can shoot over defenses too. Like he is quite literally the prototypical like three that I think teams have been looking for as a three and D guy. Like what are we missing? I, cause I personally, I don't know if you've seen something that stands out, but like he's going to be in condensed, condensed role from what he did in Michigan. And like, he he shot listen to this and catch and shoot he was in the 86 percentile like off the dribble he wasn't that great sure but like he's not taking that so what does it matter in the nba if he's going to be a pure catch and shoot guy and plays a solid defense how is he not higher i don't know man and then that that's someone i can see as like being the the desmond bain of this draft you know what i mean yep another guy um if if you don't mind me giving one more dude give me uh, all of them Okay, Mario Nakic, he's, uh, I think he's from, uh, he plays in Belgium. I think he's from Croatia. Uh, don't quote me on that, but he's he's somewhere in, in Southeast Europe. He shot 51% from three this year in the Belgian league. Not so great sample size, but we also pulled that card with Aaron Neesmith last year. So I feel like we're going to pull that again. And, uh, you know, the whole I like that. League, Good comp. <laughs> they're not, a, I mean, like, the thing with him, though, is like, he is does a lot, a lot more. He does a lot more, a lot better. Like he can put the ball on the floor. He's creative in getting and finishing to the, at the rim. Like he can attack. He can attack closeouts. He's got good blocking instincts, shot blocking instincts. And he has good basketball IQ. He rotates. You can tell he grew up playing in a pro league. So I like him as an upside guy that can shoot now. Okay, I I have two guys, three, two guys. No, three guys I want to ask you about. Um, three guys. Sorry, I'm going to cap it at three. The first one, um, and maybe he doesn't count as a downdraft guy. Maybe he's just firmly in the first round. 
is is Bones Highland. Is is that does he not count as down, down draft? You just have him way higher. That's a good one. Honestly, I just completely overlooked him. Um, I do have him technically in the range I listed. I think I was thinking so much of the three and D type or the pure spot up shooter, but he's so much more that it just escaped me. But he's a very good shooter too. One of the very best in the class. Okay, and then between some of the the the, the more three and D type people that we've mentioned, um, I'm going to name these two, and then along with the people that you've mentioned. Where do you have them? And so the two are Sam Hauser and uh, Joe Weiskamp. Yeah, so I got I got Joe uh, around the 50s. Still, he's probably one of the guys on the rise. And same with Hauser, because uh, they are two of the very best shooters. And I wanted to list them. Uh, I kind of figured you would ask about them, to be honest, because they've gotten some rise and recognition lately. Um, you look at Weiskamp, and he's got that kind of Duncan Robinson uh, the way he comes out of the handoffs and can just shoot those difficult shots over defenders. I think I saw something where he's like in the 90-something percentile on both guarded and unguarded uh, catch-and-shoot situations. So that's a really good sign. He has a high release. Like, he can shoot over defenses. Uh, I just worry about – and I guess I – you know, I say worry, but then there's there are guys like Duncan Robinson who it doesn't really matter. Like, he doesn't – I personally don't see him doing a lot else. And that's kind of my issue with Sam Hauser too is – if his shot isn't falling, what else is he doing? And and I think something that gets lost with Duncan Robinson, because people always point to him, is he's actually a pretty decent passer. Um, and he can recognize the same thing J.J. Redick did this when he was coming out of dribble handoffs and teams would surround his jump shot. He couldn't make the right read and recognize the double team and everything like that. I'm still not sure Wieskamp can. And then for Hauser, um, his shot's a little bit slow. I might be overvaluing that or undervaluing. That, that's fair. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm asking about these downdraft shooters because the Pelicans have four second-round picks. So I'm like, look, if you guys really, really like Corey Kispert, what if you just take four of these other guys instead of Corey Kispert and then, you know, take more of a swing? I'm, I'm just trying to appeal to the fan base here. But, um, <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, that was that was basically why I was asking those. Well, and, like, just real quick, I know there was a poll yesterday or two days ago, something that said, would you rather have Corey Kispert at 10 or Wieskamp at 40 and, and Wieskamp at 41. Um, but I, I disagreed, but I do think that is team dependent. What you just said is exactly why people probably voted Corey Kispert would not be the better pick or excuse me, Wieskamp would be the better pick because if you have multiple picks, like if you're, I, I don't think uh, I'm trying to think of who doesn't have a pick in that range, right? Like that's golden state. They only have seven and 14, right? They really don't have another chance technically to get another shooter down in the draft. So they would make a lot more sense. Whereas New Orleans, like you kind of said, you can take those swings in the second round. And I actually agree with you, despite in theory, disagree. Love it. That's, that's what I'm here to do, man, to, to <laughs> challenge. Um, the, the second question I wanted to ask before we open it up to the crowd is, who are some of your, your favorite international prospects? And then I'm talking about guys that aren't, you know, projected in the lotto. Like, so not no Giddy, no Shingun. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, I'll go back Mario Nakic, uh, love him. The Serbian, now that I got him correct, uh, you already heard me talk about him. I, there's a few guys in the later parts. Uh, I have a little bit kind of trouble, uh, evaluating, but one I really like that I feel like has gotten zero draft coverage. And he's my guy every year. I do this where I overhype a second round pick and he's probably this year's. Uh, I got confirmation pretty much uh, unofficially, but it's it's about confirmation that he's not going to come over. But 
I've talked, I've tweeted about him too much. Matthew Galzine um, from France. You've probably seen me tweet about him uh, before. He's a six, I think six, four combo guard, really good creator needs to improve his jump shot, but good defender too. Uh, so has that star upside technically at 20 years old. There's Malcolm Casalon out of, um, he plays for a Serbian team. Uh, I never know how to say it, but mega, I think from France, uh, six, six combo guard can shoot, can defend a little bit. And then Philip Petrusev, who was at Gonzaga last year, played with Kazalon over in Serbia. Um, he has really improved his jump shot, which is why I was so down on him last year because he didn't have a jump shot, but he still has his little push shot like Rashawn Holmes's. Um, and he's been able to really improve his passing too. So he's become a complete offensive player as a big. Cool. Lo- love that. Um, I am definitely not as familiar with the international class as you are. Um, I think you, they definitely present difficult evaluation challenges. And me just being a draft casual, um, it's difficult for me to do so. So with that being said, I want to open it up to the crowd. I think there's been people already asking questions. Um, definitely want people to raise their hands and be able to have an opportunity to ask the questions on stage rather than just send them in. Oh, yep, we got Kurt. Let's go. What's up, Kurt? Hey, guys, what's up? What? So I think this is my first time ever talking to you. <laughs> it's an awesome show. It is a fantastic um, back and uh, forth here. And I have to ask, how would you react if your favorite team chose Jalen Johnson? Love it. I knew you would ask that question, you being a <laughs> dookie. Um <laughs> Personally, I like I like Jalen Johnson as a prospect. I know, I know that there's a little bit of question marks surrounding him, uh, especially with how he ended his high school career, how he ended his Duke career. Um, I'm sure there's going to be like articles written about like, oh, we don't know if he's really invested in the game, all that kind of stuff. I get it. But, the, you know, I think he has um, a lot of talent, especially at – I think he's almost 6'10", right? I think at Combine, like, yep. he measured up pretty, pretty big. And so him being like the ball handler he is at 6'10", him being able to block shots and rebound, um, all – the picture of him being like this closing lineup, small ball five that can do all these things is really appealing, especially if you can get him into a development program that irons out his shot. I don't, I, you know, I think there's a lot of um, basketball knowledge for him to be like for him to pick up and, and that's going to come with experience, but I, I love the idea of him. I'd be happy if the Pels. Yeah. I personally would not be too happy if Orlando took a swing <laughs> on him just because that's not the, that's not the team for him. And also like, I, I'm very down on him as a prospect. I'm so sorry, Kurt. I was hoping no, you would ask dude, about DJ Stewart. All good. I, I really thought you were going to ask about Stewart. Uh, I was hoping that's where you were going to go with it. <laughs> but, but no, I mean, the biggest thing for me is like, yeah, the off-court stuff, that's not my place to really comment. I don't feel like uh, there are question marks, but we don't know. Like, as an intel thing. Um, my worry for him is that I've noticed, like, well, first of all, let me just start with the positive, actually. He had the very best game of any prospect in this entire draft, like almost getting a five by five against Pittsburgh. And then the 2020 game or whatever, 2019 and five and five or something like that, where he was getting assists. Yeah. And even though it was Coppin state, like who cares? Like he still put that up. Like if it was that easy, every top prospect would do it. So like Mm -hmm. the ceiling is ridiculous, but the floor is really low because he shoots on the way down, uh, especially on moving jump shots. I'm not a fan of the jump shot just in any capacity, um, that really worries me. And I think that limits him a lot. And I don't 
I don't know if y'all saw this at all too when watching him, but I felt like he was a little bit slow recognizing some open teammates at times, uh, especially like yeah. in half court. Yeah, that was a worry for me too. Are yeah, there's definitely the the processing issues um, mm-hmm. that come with that. I think that is why you see such high highs and and then some some such low lows. And then like there's like mm-hmm. okay, is he failing to recognize these reads on defense or is he just completely falling asleep or does he not want to, like, or is he not trying? So there's, there's that question mark of, of like what's going on on the defensive end, because like, again, he blocks a lot of shots um, and can really cover some ground, but then a lot, you know, like for large portions of the game, you're like, this dude is just complete negative because he's not in any kind of position to do anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, so he just is just out of it like like a quarter of the time, and it is a very um frustrating where he's just not like just he's just not engaged at all. Right, and that's I'm not sure if it's like mentality or just knowledge. Well, Kurt, that's kind of scary when you put that next to Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson, <laughs> other Duke players who yep. show a lot of like, dude, what are you doing on defense? So um, maybe maybe I need to take back my uh, enthusiasm on on the Pelicans draft. <laughs> oh, so he, he is a fantastic transition player, which is perfect next to us. Zion, though. Always like that. I agree, and I think that's what makes him appealing as a small ball five you know i'm not i'm not entirely sure he'll he'll work well um you know as a four or a three uh, especially with zion and, and ingram but if you're closing with him right and you're you're really like letting him grab and go and kind of play make and transition and making the game a little bit easier for him um yeah i i could definitely see the ceiling in that um what else you got for us, Kurt? And, uh, and obviously to the crowd, if you guys have any speaking requests, just like raise your hand. We got you in here. This is free for all. Okay, so I have to ask it. Is Johnny Juzang coming out? And would the L's target him as a flyer shooter at the end of the hacking? Uh, Rich, you want to you wanna handle that? I, I'm strictly forbidden from talking about Johnny Juzang. <laughs> I got, I, I'm, I'm sure you've seen this. The tweets. The guy tried betting me five thousand dollars that uh, Johnny Juzang would go first round, um, <laughs> and unfortunately, his account is suspended. I'll never get the money. But damn. Uh, <laughs> no, on a real note, I, I, I don't. Man, someone's gonna take him because recency bias is that strong, especially in the NCAA or NBA. Excuse me, from the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't like him as a prospect personally, so I'm not even gonna say like I, I don't see a team that can really maximize him, but. Maybe them, maybe the Pelicans with one of their last picks because he can shoot, but I just don't know what else he does at the NBA, especially as a combo guard or not combo guard, like shooting guard wing. Yeah, I'm I'm not a fan as well. Um, my I'm going to turn this question since you brought up like NCAA success. Uh, how do you feel about Davion Mitchell, uh, both of you guys, and and what would be your reaction if you're t- – I mean, Kurt, you're a Lakers fan, so I don't yeah. care about what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, but, but – uh, I mean, like, tw- him him going at what? I think the Lakers have what, – what do they have this year? 22. Pick? 22, yeah. I mean, I think him at 22 would be fine. Um, he's not faster. Like, he's small. That is yeah. my issue. Like, he, so, like, common comp was the other Mitchell – and I just cannot see that because he's just so small in terms of height and arms. He cannot attack the hoop like a like the younger um, Mitchell. Yeah, yeah, at all. It's not. It's, fun, it's funny that the other Mitchell is younger. Um, 
<laughs> is is he? I don't know. I think they're about the same age. But no. Um, but yeah, Rich, do you? What if what if Orlando got him at eighth? Would you would you pull your hair out? Um, I'm not happy. I mean, although, yeah, I probably wouldn't be too happy because like that's a win now move. That's a win now player. You don't. I, I Golden State takes him. Like they're they're not a rebuilding team. They're a team that just didn't make the playoffs. You don't do that when you're in stage zero or stage one of a rebuild. I, I just don't feel like that's the, the move. Unless you're I, – I, I don't know. Maybe they want to compete for a playoffs next year with uh, with R.J. Hampton as a, as a rotation player, which I don't think is physically possible as much as I love R.J. Uh, so, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think I'd be happy. Do you buy his shooting, and what do you, what do you feel like his upside is? So, yes, because the form is nice. It's so weird that the free throw percentage isn't – like, he has no – like, I don't see anything crazy wrong with his jump shot. Like, it's – there's nothing that really stands out as, like, you know, there's no clear-cut flaw in it. Um, I loved him. It's so funny because last year when I saw him at TCU, like, I, I saw him against – you know, when he was with Baylor, obviously. I really wondered why he didn't ever get draft coverage, being such a good defender and he could shoot – and even though he wasn't making it, he could take and, you know, make some difficult shots. But now that he got to 45%, I feel like he kind of got overhyped in that regard. Like, I think he could be near league average as a shooter. I just don't know what that value ends up being with that kind of role. The the other question um, related to him is, I've seen some people have Butler ranked higher than him. Who Who do you think is a better Baylor guard? I go with Butler. Um, the only question comes down to the heart issue. It's a very valid yeah. reason uh, to have Mitchell higher, I think. But on court, I mean, Jared Butler has such a clear defined role where he's a 10-year veteran at the least. Mitchell very well could be too. But, I mean, you look at the guards. I mean, he, he – how do I word it? Like, he is going to automatically be a winning player. There's zero question about it, um, and he never won't be a winning player. I think I said that cool. right. I dig it. Yeah, I dig yeah. the response. Um, yeah, so we got Wolves culture in here. What's up, Wolves? What? How you doing? So, um, good. How are you? Good. I'm about to get flamed for my uh, Minnesota comments, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> From earlier. <laughs> about this Debian and other things, I had Butler considerably higher on my board. Obviously, the hard condition is something I'm not considering because, as it is right now, I don't know if he's going to play basketball at that professional level ever again. But I think Butler is a much better shooter and a much better pick and roll ball handler while being not much worse as a defender, but even then, it's guard defense. I don't really care about either of them because I don't think neither Davian nor Butler is going to be insane at a Mark Smart level. So that's my reasoning. I I, I definitely have, have seen other people say similar things. Now, on the topic of both these guys, and this is this is questions to everyone. Um, how much do you guys buy the he's a winner? type um evaluation that comes and gets attached to players that you know that make deep deep ncaa runs do you think it ends up making a meaningful difference in the nba or do you think it's like 
rather loosely applied to players, and it's only you know a truly handful level of players who you can say that about, and and they typically have to um, have a an appropriate amount of skill as well for for them to be you know have that kind of like I guess locker room equity or whatnot. I mean, so I can kind of see it for role players, like if they're a future role player, as in like a Tyus Jones type. But for a like lottery pick, it's just not a, a consideration at all of me because oftentimes like the talent, like just like the talent levels are just not even close to the same. And the winning mentality for a star in college just is not the same at all. That's a good take. I like that. I, I've always thought that it's been like, you know, you got to have the truly, you know, ter- like, I guess, like, like, I don't want to call them losers per se, but like, you know, it's like your bottom, like 1% of players that like are are more selfish and less team oriented that end up making a, a difference in the NBA. Like, okay, we don't want this and, and they're bad and we don't, we shouldn't you know, draft them. And then it's like the, on the other end of it's like the top 1%, the the Draymonds of the world or like the Chris Pauls or whatever. And anyone else that is like, that falls between that other 98% of prospects, probably, you know, it's just their game is more dependent than their, I guess their intangibles. All right. So I could be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure it's only two NBA all-stars in the, 2000s have led their teams to a uh, college title, and it is Melo and Anthony Davis. That's it. What? Um, dang, you're right. I was going to say Brandon Inger, but he didn't win. That wasn't his year. No, it was um, Ja for that one. Dang. <laughs> and to be DeAndre Hunter. <laughs> oh, yep. That's, no, that's I, a good I one. Him a little bit Dude, on the air. Or Kyle Guy, right? Yeah, right. I guess yeah, he was the most important player, but DeAndre was probably the best player on that team still. Yeah. What what up, Patrick? How you doing? Yeah, I was gonna say a little bit on the college thing. So like, it's always tough for me because I don't watch like a ton of film on any of these guys. But so like, a lot of mine is uh, slanted from my college watching, which is Virginia based. So I was gonna say just I've seen it sometimes attached to Virginia plays, where it's like, oh, he went to Virginia, he can defend. It's not exactly the case. He can run the pack line against college competition is what that means. Like, no one is going to say that Kyle Guy or Ty Jerome is a great NBA-level defender, even though they were both parts of, like, the number one and two college defenses. So I think it's oftentimes really tough to extrapolate those more intangible things when the level of competition is so different. And uh, I guess my question for you guys, because once again, as Virginia guy, the guy I've seen rising a lot of draft boards that I just don't understand as much is Trey Murphy. Like, I, his shooting numbers like jump off the page, but from watching him, it's not a difficult shot profile. It's a lot of catch and shoot. He's not really a movement shooter. He's not creating off the dribble because his handle is, quite frankly, pretty bad. So, like, compared to other shooters like Weisskamp, who are doing more difficult shooting, like, off of handoffs and things like that, I don't. I don't see why Trey has been shooting up the board as much. I mean, I think it has to do with just the simplicity of of three and D. Like when people hear three and D, they literally think they're only doing you know those two things, and that's I think why he slots into it. I'm I'm kind of with you to an extent. I am lower on him because I 
like I said earlier, it's like, what are you doing when your shot doesn't fall? Sure, he breaks defense, but I, he has zero self-creation, which worries me. And, and then again, like, what if guys are making shots over him and his shot isn't falling? Which is a very realistic combination. It's just how many times is that going to happen? And I think that's what it comes down to with him is he hits a lot of catch-and-shoot shots, and um, and generally his defense is good. So one way or the other, he's going to have a positive impact on one end of the floor most nights, and usually they'll overlap. Um, I just don't know, you know, I, I kind of share that same issue. It's like, can't you find guys who do things better in similar roles? Yeah. And I say, yeah, I, I think what, what, you guys have, have nailed it. Um, I don't buy the lottery hype around him, uh, or, you know, even wait, 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 in, like in, in there's like, lottery hype for him. <laughs> yeah. Some people are trying to move him up to the lottery. I, I don't get that. Um, I don't, I don't get it. You know, even in like twenties like and below, I don't get that. Um, late twenties, uh, first or like early second, you know, even in the second, he's t- the type of guy that you draft to play that role and that role specifically. And so, mm-hmm. you know, like a team that has the twenty eighth pick, asking him to come in and defend and hit open shots, sure, you know, like I can see that, right? And you can you can do a lot worse with that kind of profile. Which again, we were talking about Isaiah Livers, which. Why isn't he higher? If Trey Murphy gets the hype, then why doesn't Livers get the hype? But yeah, um, I guess I'm gonna. We've been on for about an hour and seven minutes. I'm uh, gonna make one last call for anyone that has questions. Uh, raise your hand. We'll get you in. Otherwise, you know, I think we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up. Anyone have anyone in this current chat board uh, have any weird draft questions? Shoot, we don't even got to limit it to the draft at this point. Like. What's on your mind? Who, who do y'all got winning the finals? Yeah. Suns. Suns. <laughs> that's too, Suns. I think that's too easy. Yeah. Wow. I'm also Suns draft. So right. It's okay. <laughs> wow. Bucks. I'm going Bucks. Fine. I'm going to get Bucks. the same Bucks. <laughs> Go Drew. Yeah. I, I think it'll, you know, obviously it'll come down to Giannis being healthy, right? Uh, if he can get in around game two or three, it'll probably make a big difference. I, I it think it's a minor miracle that he's even being considered. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, cool. I guess if no one I, uh, else got hey, – I'll, oh. I'll take – I'll give one one good uh, – I, I don't know if it's a good question or not, but one tough question. Um, next year's most improved player, who do you have? I'll, I can start if you want. I'll start with Miles Bridges. Uh, I know I just completely shoved everyone's answer out of the way for that. <laughs> um. Sure, I'll go with the hometown, not the hometown dude, but the the Pels dude. I'll go with Nikhil Alexander Walker. I think he'll get the scoring necessary to win the award. Um, oh, we saw him in Game Six, and it is Cam Reddish. Wow, spicy! I Another like Duke guy. <laughs> well, what? A oh wait, I just I didn't even realize. There. Of course, it's a Duke. <laughs> what a surprise! I don't, I don't know what if this is. It works though. I say, I don't it know works. if this is off the wall. Robert Williams. That's a good That's one. A, I like that. That's a good one. I would go with either DeAndre Hunter or Garland. I like those picks. Yeah. I, I had I Sexton as mine. I had Sexton as mine this year. And while I think he made the, you know, he made good improvements, he wasn't as good as Randall. Um, but yeah, Garland is, Garland is a good one because again, he's a, I think what happens is a lot of these awards end up going to players who get a lot of opportunity to get shots up. And, and yeah. then, you know, the secondary thing is, like, team success. So um, I, I like Garland for that. Sometimes I think that overachieves and 
the media doesn't really know who to give the credit to. So either the what about, or the comfort player. What about OG and Anobi? He's got to be up there too. I mean, like, no, maybe. <clears throat> Who'd you say? I don't yeah. see it. Maybe. I don't see a ton of offensive improvement. And I already think he's a top seven defender in the league, so like. I don't know how much more. He can yeah, it's just like what kind of jump can he take? I mean, so I think Lowry um, potentially leaving can hurt him um, just in terms of his um, offense. Yeah, and it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting what they do with four, and that'll probably play into you know how what what kind of role OG has on offense, right? I think Suggs coming in. Um, if I'm then, I would just put I would just put Suggs next to Fred day one and figure it out. I think they're all smart players and he could, I think he'd fit right in. But if it's not Suggs, if Suggs goes before, then, you know, I think either of Mobley and Green help a lot. But do you, I guess to close it off, do you see them going off the board and taking someone like Scotty Barnes or, or Kaminga or someone else? I mean, no, I don't think they go Scotty Barnes. That's for sure. Kaminga could be though. Like he's, like, I, I think Kumingo could be made perfect there. Cool. Well, I think I appreciate you all for hopping in and talking with us, and I appreciate everyone for listening. Um, we will push out the podcast version of this as soon as – I mean, not as soon as we get the, the file, but, you know, when we get the file, which I, they've been hit and miss about, so hopefully we get it. But I appreciate you all <laughs> listening in late here on Monday. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Tom. What's up, everybody? I'm Bladen. I'm Matt. And I'm Theo. And we are Stay Hot, the only podcast that gives you the hottest analysis and takes on the NFL and NBA all year round. I know that there's a lot of losers and haters out there who don't think three sports TikTokers can hang for a full pod, but, you know, we're going to prove them all wrong. We're about to dive deep into the NFL draft and are already hitting the NBA playoffs. So watch Stay Hot on YouTube or listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.